you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome back to Data Science at Home and Beyond. I'm Francesco, your host for the next 30 minutes. Feel free to join us on our Discord channel where you can get in touch with me and the amazing community of scientists and practitioners. You will find links you need on the official website, datascienceathome.com. Today, as always, we are going to have a lot of fun with the topics you love the most. So put yourself at ease, grab your cup of coffee or tea, and expose your brain to the topic of the day. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from Amitix Technologies based in Belgium. Today, after about three years or more, <laughs> I am back with uh, Philip Pianieski. Uh, hi, Philip. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we actually follow each other on Twitter. And uh, to be honest with you, I am always impressed about your uh, <laughs> statements, to say the least, uh, on, on, on the Twitter social network, uh, because, well, the listeners have to know that Philip and I kind of share the same opinion about uh, what's going on with artificial intelligence and even the latest technologies. Uh, and I have to be honest, I mean, I very much appreciate your statements on, on Twitter, even though sometimes they are very strong, but uh, it is what it is, you know. <laughs> there are a lot of strong opinions out there, and your statements have to be strong as a, a strong reaction to those to those statements. What do you think? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I think there's a, a lot of hyperbole going on in the in the AI world, and so, you know, maybe my statements are also, let's just call them anti-hyperbolic. So, um, you know, some of the grand, grand statements by, by some of these uh, big companies, they need to be sometimes deflated a little bit. And uh, I've been actually somehow, you know, managed to get myself into that role. So that's where I am on Twitter. <laughs> that's very much appreciated. Uh, so, um, of course, we will report your Twitter handle on the show notes of this episode at datascienceathome.com, together with many of the references that you will uh, probably mention during this, uh, uh, I would not call it interview, but it's just a conversation between two friends speaking about all things AI and LLM, probably. Uh, uh, so, uh, Philip, what have you been doing these last three years? Uh, do you want to share some of your uh, professional activities? <clears throat> yes, so I've been I've been mainly working on uh, various problems in perception, mostly visual perception. I've been working on uh, cashierless store technology, um, and now I'm actually had switched gears a little bit, and I'm working on actually mostly photogrammetry related problems, um, the kind of uh, scanning three D um, environment from just vision visual. Um, you know, little camera rig, um, stuff related to SLAM as as well as other things. But, you know, actually working in a startup again. So typically that involves pretty much everything from <laughs> recording data, you know, to through all those machine learning frameworks or, or um, computer vision frameworks all the way to DevOps and uh, deploying these things in, in cloud. So... Uh, yeah. yeah, busy as as usual with with all tech related <laughs> stuff. 
That's good. So yeah, I remember well that you were involved in uh, computer vision projects. And indeed, I want just to make a check that <laughs> you were still involved and you still are uh, back to startup, uh, startup life, which is also very challenging and very exciting, at least my personal experience a couple of times. <laughs> All right, Philip. So let's uh, uh, switch gear. And uh, in fact, uh, let's cover some of uh, the topics that we all know are you know, pretty much on the news on a on a on a daily basis, if I can say, uh, LLMs, uh, large language models. Uh, apparently, the AI game has changed completely, according to many journalists or quote unquote experts out there. Uh, some of them are even uh, are even mentioning the the that we are going finally. We are. Uh, we're in the right path towards AGI, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, artificial general intelligence. So, you know, Philip, we, we finally seem to have AGI. Uh, you should be proud. <laughs> right. Well, <clears throat> so I have very mixed feelings about the large language models because on one hand, I would actually agree that they are moving towards something more, um, more resembling you know the way the way AI should be built, um, and you might be surprised to hear that from a skeptic. But um, you know the way the way these language models work, they 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 are trained in a so, somewhat self supervised fashion, right? So we don't have to label much for them. Um, at least in principle, majority of the learning is done by by the means of prediction of the next uh, token in in the sentence, um, and I think. Truly, I do believe that this is a very powerful paradigm for predicting dynamical systems. Um, I just don't think language is a particularly um, useful um, dynamical system to be studying in isolation from everything else that's going on. So it's a sort of a philosophical question whether language is sufficient for any you know, reasonable intelligence to emerge. And obviously, we're biased to believe that way because of uh, Turing and, and all these Chinese room experiments and whatnot. And we just want to say that language is a sufficient channel to, to be able to determine intelligence. That's because that's how we determine intelligence. But I actually, I don't think that's really the case, right? Because we do believe that there's a bunch of animals on this planet that are intelligent and, um, <clears throat> you know, not even talking about dogs and stuff, but you know, octopus and and octopus cannot communicate with us with any verbal language. And yet, you know, anybody who interacted with these animals will testify immediately that they are very intelligent. So <clears throat> I, I think it's a correct maybe direction as far as paradigm goes, but it's it's limiting it to just language is certainly wholly insufficient. So that would be my my take on on the LLM sort of land yeah no that makes sense and uh you know the fact that when we say intelligent of course after so many years we still don't know what it actually means like there are many flavors of intelligence uh, and indeed as you already mentioned some animals the intelligence of some animals uh might be different from what we believe is in, an intelligent person human being uh Animals can survive the jungle and and very extreme climate conditions and and uh, bring food on a daily basis to their uh, uh, tribes or whatever. And, you know that's also another form of intelligence uh, that we don't have because we evolved in a different way. So uh, we evolved towards uh, a language, which is the probably 
the most common way of communicating. And so probably it's because we frame everything under, you know, we put everything under the umbrella of language and it's easier for us to define something intelligence with respect to uh, the language that we indeed uh, speak or use on a daily basis. Um, Philip, something happened immediately after, I don't remember exactly the month, but it was a few months after ChatGPT uh, 3.5 was released, there was a leak of uh, the llama uh, weights uh, from Meta, from uh, former Facebook. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a new trend started, which is the you know open source LLM. Um, now, what do how do you relate this movement or this trend mm-hmm. to the future of artificial intelligence? It's a uh, it's hard it's hard to tell. I think um, it's a uh, I think it's a bad news for OpenAI actually because um, you know now everybody's going to be bringing up these these large language models and that seems to be the case right. There's a probably f- f- five hundred startups right now trying to uh, you know re- repeat the the success, let's call it, of, of chat GPT. Um, so that's that's interesting. Another thing I guess worth mentioning is, you know, aside from the, the there is no so what's the moat, right, for these things, right? The moat is really that you have enormous amount of computing power to to train these models. Um, and the, the other possible moat is that you have some proprietary data. Um, I think leaking leaking the weights, right. you know, because you have a model that's already pre-trained, it kind of diminishes the the importance of having all that much compute, right? Because you can then fine-tune the model, um, which is an interesting, I guess, way of of dealing with with these with the, this mode. So that, you know, I don't really have very, um, you know, I'm not very opinionated on that particular subject. Um, I think it's good that you know there's multiple attempts on 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 um, working with these language models. I don't think they, well, open AI, I mean, frankly speaking, it's it's anything but open these days, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the weights of open AI, we, 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 they have not been leaked and we, had, we have zero access to this. Paradoxically. Uh, because... they're, they're, they're absolutely not open these yeah. days, right? So it's a, <laughs> it's a complete, um, um, you know, the, their name is just a, uh, a joke at this point, I yeah. think. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, but so, do, do you think do you think the you know the fact that people have access to these pre-trained weights uh, can help with what we called back in the days the democratization of back in the days it was data science now probably democratization of AI. So indeed, the fact that one doesn't need to have a uh, twenty million US dollars. Uh, to to retrain from scratch something, you can just start from something, fine-tune maybe with Laura. We covered this in a previous episode. And then in with a hundred bucks, in fact, <laughs> you can fine-tune your model for your particular domain. Right. Yeah, it, it definitely does help. Now, the problem is, I guess, the question, the real big question is, why would anyone want to democratize large language models, right? Um, I think that's the fundamental question. So what are these things good for? Um, and so, you know, because there's all these startups right right now out there, you know, you'll hear all sorts of pitches, right? It's gonna, I just recently heard on Twitter, you know, the confabulation and the making up stuff is gonna be largely done by 2025. And I don't see any 
any reason whatsoever for this this feature of these language models to be gone by by such short time frame because you know it's not a bug it's a feature these things they all they do is guess the next word right so their confabulation and their making stuff up is is really you know the way these things operate so they will be making stuff up, right? So if, if we just assume for the moment that they will be making stuff up, you know, what are these things good for? Nothing mission critical, nothing, pro- probably nothing in medicine, really. Um, <clears throat> maybe at least as a, certainly not as an autonomous guide, um, you know, maybe as a, as a some kind of a help, a suggestion to a physician, but I would be careful with that because, you know, you're going to be biasing phys- physicians maybe against their their own typical intuitions, which might encode a, a, a slightly more sophisticated probabilistic model than what the LLM is doing. Um, so then the other big application, which I think is really the top application, is generating spam and fake, fake, you know, product reviews on the web and fake articles, misinformation and all that, right? And 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 if you think about that, well, these things are absolutely uh, the best tool for that, right? They make up stuff which which reads very well, um, which you know down the road might be complete nonsense, but it's hidden enough that you know unless you know what you're talking about, it's it's easy to believe, it's believable, right? And that's exactly because they are predicting the most probable next word or next you know piece of sentence if we don't know what we're talking about this really is the only model we have to judge whether something is true or not um, this sort of agreement in in terms of what we expect so there is a you know predictive aspect of the way we read language especially when we don't know what we're talking about because we can't really verify if the next word that came in whether it makes sense, whether there's any correspondence to the truth. If we don't know, we just rely on the fact that whether it sounds yeah. correct, right? And it will sound correct for these for these models just by the very definition of how they work. And so these things these things are excellent uh, at spreading misinformation of all kinds, right? Um, now, whether we want this sort of ability to be democratized, uh, I guess time will tell because. I could certainly see a dark scenario in which these things spread like wildfire, which you know seems to be the case right now, um, which leads to, to basically a, a point at which the internet is so so full of noise that it's completely useless as a source of information, yeah. right? So once these things start edit Wikipedia, you know, wholesale. Once these things start, you know, submitting thousands and thousands of product reviews, there's already problems on 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 Stack Overflow. There's already problems on Reddit, so and we we could get you know, you know uh, to the extreme. In fact, we could get to a point where these models are generating, let's say, bullshit, and using the same generated bullshit to retrain or retune until I don't know this thing is going to explode somehow. Right. There's another there's another problem, right, of poisoning their own training set, right? right? The more the more data there there is on the internet that's generated by GPT, that in turn becomes GPT. I'm, I'm talking about GPT, but I'm talking about LLMs in general. Um, the more this thing becomes part of their own training set, right? So there could be some sort of fixed points in in this dynamics, right, where they will spontaneously kind of converge to some narratives. Let's just call it this way, 
where you know they generate even more of certain kind of content, at which point there's more of that content in their training set and they in turn generate even more of it, right? So are you tired of disappointing data science research for your business? Look no further. Introducing Newton X, the AI-powered solution for custom recruiting. The proprietary search, the Newton X graph, scans an open network of 1.1 billion professionals across 140 industries, sourcing the exact expertise you need. Say goodbye to closed panels and hello to high-quality professionals. No other research company can match. As the world's leading B2B research company, they offer quantitative surveys, schedule expert interviews, facilitate long-term consultations, and create customized research plans for your business. Visit newtonx.com slash data science for more information on how NewtonX can help answer your critical data science business questions. With NewtonX, you'll get 100% verified professionals, grounding your work in true expertise and make business strides with confidence. That's newtonx.com slash data science. Philip, what do you think about, because I want to connect back to what you said before, these are semi-supervised models uh, or completely unsupervised, in fact, in the sense that they don't need labeling, as we know for, I don't know, a simple clustering algorithm or uh, many other uh, predictors uh, or classifiers. Uh, the, and that's a good thing. You know, it, it was like the ultimate uh, goal of uh, artificial intelligence practitioners to have uh, something semi-supervised or completely unsupervised. Uh, however, there is a, a piece, a part, a model, a component in LLMs, which is, for example, in the case of ChatGPT, uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback, right? So that's where the human uh, feedback uh, is required to tweak and tune or uh, keep the network under control. Uh, do you think uh, humans will always be involved in, in that activity, which means that, I don't know, we're going to have, what, uh, humans that work for machines? Well, <clears throat> I, I think that begs going down the rabbit hole of what really is AI, right? So um, to me, AI at least is is synonymous with autonomy, and autonomy is ability to survive in the environment which on this planet anyway, it's it's a pretty complex environment, right? So um, I have I have a strong belief that we should view intelligence not from the framework of computation, but from the framework of of dynamical systems, really, and uh, and physics actually. Um, it's a physical property, right? So matter on this planet self organizes in what we call biology. Uh, biology is just sophisticated physics of, uh, you know, car carbon-related, you know, uh, compounds, right? And then this this organic, call it matter, you know, further um, organizes into what we call organisms, right? And these organisms exhibit certain dynamics. Um, so what do they need? They need energy from the environment, and in order to extract energy from the environment, they need to predict their environment. They need to um, uh, you know, control the environment to some degree, right? So, intelligence is this is this emergent property of of this self organizing matter, which leads to ability to predict how uh, you know your environment is going to evolve and how to control that environment. And control and prediction is essentially just just uh, the same, right? If you can predict, you can control. If you can control, you can predict. Um, 
So, you know, that, that sort of builds agency into these organisms because, you know, the organism as its own just wants to control its own environment in order to gain, you know, resources. Um, that's, that's, in my mind, what's intelligence, right? What we're building with, with all sorts of tools, right, is, well, we're building tools. We're building computer systems. We're, we're building, um, you know, all sorts of widgets which exhibit some aspects of cognition. Um, and we call that artificial intelligence. Well, you know, they don't have any agency. They don't want to control anything. We want to control these systems, right? Um, so it's a it's a confusion to really call these things artificial intelligence. They should be called maybe artificial aspects of cognition or something along these lines, right? Um, but that, that would not be as cool. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That would not be as cool, right? So that goes back to McCarthy, who who coined <laughs> this name, and you know, it's such a such a sexy name, right? Um, <clears throat> so we build these things, and then we want to control them, right? So that's that's the, that's actually a a feature of our own intelligence that we want to control them, right? Why do we want to control these systems, right? Because we want to use them to make money. And why do we want to make money? Because that's a that's a way for us to extract energy out of the environment, right? So <laughs> really, at the end of the day, uh, if there's any danger in so quote unquote AI, it's just yet another tool for intelligent beings in the form of humans, you know, trying to exert control on their environment, which involves other, you know, intelligent beings called humans. <laughs> Um, so <clears throat> let, let me let me uh, cut you here because we are going to discuss a bit about danger in a minute uh, due to the fact that there are many people out there. I mean, they seem to increase in number uh, who are alerting that these things can go wrong, in fact, and, and, and there are many. Uh, catastrophes behind the corner, but more on that, uh, more on that later. Hold your horses. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to to discuss about uh, still uh, the open closed data, um, so the open source version or the closed source version of LLM. Uh, in both cases, there is one problem that stays, in my opinion, which is uh, you know the data problem, right? Where do we take the data? It doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, we know the topologies, we know how these things work, we know attention mechanisms, we know transformers, we know all that stuff. Uh, the problem is still that we don't have a way to tell, uh, to reference, uh, you know, tell the references of, of the answer of an LLM. Uh, and so if the LLM is answering me, for example, uh, or generating something, a quote of someone, there's no way to... to mention the, the author of that uh, of that content so that, that would seem yeah, to be they, they can't really explain their decision making process right that's that's the sort of problem and uh, but you know it, it is a problem with with all sorts of machine learning black boxes that we've been we've been building right it's it's the same case for vision there's been enormous amount of research in trying to figure out why these things make the decisions they make when when it comes to let's say visual classification and whatnot, and this led to to the discovery of of the so-called adversarial examples, which which had shown that you know the the decision boundaries for these black boxes are really very fragile, um, in that they they don't make the decision based on the same sort of criteria that we would typically. Um, attribute um, to, let's say, semantics of the image, but but rather on something a lot 
a lot shallower, I would say. And in fact, you know, it's the whole uh, irony of this field that deep learning is really relying on very shallow uh, correlations. Um, and it's same with the, I, I don't see a reason why this wouldn't be the case with with uh, large language models, right? So, and then in, in fact, in general, machine learning, right? Whenever there's a correlation, um, these things will will stick to it, right? Because that's that's the only thing that they can consume. It's it's just correlations. Now, with with us humans, it's a little different, right? For us, there, there's enough to to have one negative example to basically destroy any any sort of perceived correlation, right? We we immediately understand that even though two things are very correlated, they have nothing with each other, right? right. It's just spurious. Um, Whereas, whereas for you know machine learning, there there is no really anything in the objective function of these of these things that would say, hey, pick up correlations. But then, if you just have one example that that will uh, violate that correlation, then just abandon the whole thing. Yeah, um, not at all, right? I mean, it's gonna work slightly against it. This you know, couple examples, counter examples. Let's just put it this way, but. But it's not going to destroy or or weight in against you know a thousand of positive examples. Um, so there's going to be all sorts of all sorts of problems with these things because they will latch onto relatively shallow stuff, relatively um, you know something devised of of any meaning really, right? Right, and and then there is the fact that these things don't have awareness in in sense that they don't know when they are right or when they are wrong. Right, they they, they yeah. just shoot stuff. Yeah, part. So so this goes back to you know what's the definition of truth, right? And so I could argue that there's uh, there's some aspect of truth which is embedded in the language, right? So you could you could claim that you know if certain statements are repeated frequently, then they could be deemed truthful. If they are not repeated frequently, you can say, hey, this is probably not correct. Of course, this is a very slippery slope, right? Because every everyone knows the history of propaganda, right? You repeat something a hundred times, people start believing it. Um, but, you know, but there's an argument to be made that, you know, there's maybe some aspect of, of verifying truthfulness within the language itself. Obviously, mathematics, you know, that's that's only language, right? And, and we can we can assign truthfulness to statements purely on, you know, syntactics of the right. statements, really, Logic, right? Logic or, or whatnot, or definition of the formal language, right? So so certainly language has some some aspect of truthfulness, but, you know, especially natural language relies heavily on, on um, you know, correspondence, right, to the real world, right? So we would deem that certain statements are true if, if they correspond to some fact in reality, right? Yeah. Um, and that's how we verify those statements. And, and but large language models have no access to reality, right? They they only rely on the language, so they can't verify anything whatsoever, right? Um, and there is nothing in their objective function which would say, hey, by the way, try to verify that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we try to patch it by by imposing some sort of human feedback and then basically slapping them on the head with the hammer called you know reinforcement learning, because you know. Reinforcement learning, much like Jan LeCun refers, right? I mean, it's it's the icing on the cake, or even just the cherry on top of the cake, right? So it's a it's a very, very, um, you know, there's very little of that data, right? The the, the human human feedback is going to be by definition very scarce. 
So what we will probably do is try to basically hammer these systems very heavily when there's a human feedback, say, by the way, just try to unlearn everything you've learned because this this is the, the human feed, which we would probably try to weight this human right. generated data a lot heavier than what it gains, let's say, from this self-supervised stuff. But but the problem is it's really just a, a, a an attempt to patch a deeper problem, right? We're trying to patch the fact that these systems don't spontaneously verify anything on them all on them you know on their own they don't they're they don't have access to reality and therefore they don't have any need or any incentive to actually verify stuff whether it's truthful right. or not and so we're hammering it by by hiring humans at the end of the day i don't think that's going to work in the long run right yeah it's definitely not scalable, um, even though there are ways to, uh, for example, create a, the reinforcement learning model, automate essentially the, the, the action of the humans that gives the feedback. So uh, build another model that behaves like the human, but uh, it's, it's kind of biting the tail. Um, do you think that, uh, because this is kind of the next evolution of large language models, which is multimodal large language models, or you know, these models that can, let's say, integrate multiple types of data or data sources uh, under one massive model. So, for example, you might be, what, what's happening already, I think, on, on GPT-4, um, you can uh, mix text with images or you can ask to generate images in your conversation. And, you know, you, you can extend this to many other uh, data types out there, media, no, no, God knows what. Do you think that this could, uh, in fact, uh, well, first of all, make these models more powerful? And second, could it give that verification that is missing now, the fact that these models cannot validate things, they cannot verify things, and maybe using additional sources, they, they can, they will? What, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a very interesting path if you, if you remember... You know, I was always interested with this sort of multimodal aspect of of learning, and uh, yeah, I mean, look at look at animals, right? How do we verify if something is real? It uh, it involves basically agreement between the senses, right? So we we typically deem as something as as not an illusion when when multiple of our senses agree that there is something out there, right? It is a way of verifying truthfulness because it's just extremely unlikely in physical reality that you would basically have simultaneous stimuli in multiple different modalities without there being an underlying, you know, real cause for these things, right? Uh, of course, this may happen. There's there's illusions, right, and whatnot. But you know, for the most part, it's it's really rare that that you know there would be simultaneous auditory and let's say visual experience, and they were completely unrelated to each other, right? Yeah. Um, so this is going certainly towards the right direction, right? If if there's ever any chance for these systems to even attempt to verify anything is is to seek agreement between what they quote unquote see and hear and you know what they get in language and and uh, in other senses. I I I so I do truly believe this is the right direction to go. The only problem I see though is, you know, human language is already a very abstract representation of reality, right? So there there is no 
in order to get the connection, let's say, between what you see and what you're being fed in language, that's a that's a giant leap to make in, in terms of you know reasoning and understanding. And I don't think people really appreciate how how much of a leap that is because we just do it so easily, spontaneously in, in our brains, right? But you know, say, saying that there's a chair in in a picture and seeing that chair in the picture, uh, you know, to us it's just easy. Um, but 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 it's a giant it's a giant step for you know levels of abstraction, right? Because in order to understand what a chair is, you you have to have affordances, you have to have a lot of understanding about you know how the physical reality is composed, how it works, and whatnot. So you almost have to already have the cognition in order to to make that connection properly, right? Um, so I don't and and you know typically like with AI, we're always kind of approaching it backwards, right? And and so starting with language is extremely deceptive because language is like at the very end of of of, of our cognit- cognitive capabilities, right? It's I, just it's just so far away from everything else that we have no idea how to do with computers, right? So I, in general I think this is the right path, but it's going to take a long way for these systems to first, you know, match let's say vision and audition much vision with action you know they'll probably need to be embedded to some to some degree in order to understand that there's physical reality and once they understand all these things that's when they can start matching language descriptions with with what they are perceiving in that physical reality and then they're going to be able to verify things right yeah. like we do so it's a it's a long way yeah, no, I'm very glad you say this because you know if it's a long way, it means that we still have some time as human beings to survive on this planet. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be worried about our existence. There are people, you know, even Geoffrey Hinton is saying that uh, we might be screwed. <laughs> well, AI is dangerous, and uh, he had to resign from Google to say that actually. And God knows what else he has. He knows that we don't. <laughs> what can you know? Frankly, frankly speaking, I think really by orders of magnitude, you know, nuclear war is still a much bigger threat to humanity than anything AI related, unless unless AI finds a way to launch, you know, nuclear war. But um, oh my god, <laughs> Term- Terminator is is far away as as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, phew. Okay, so we just have to worry about a nuclear attack. That's good. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Philip, there is a, a company that we, we have mentioned already a number of times on this show, uh, OpenAI. Uh, we know it's not that open when it comes to indeed releasing or showing what's going on in ChatGPT. Uh, we have some white uh, technical report or white papers and some other papers that mention what data they are using and stuff like that. but. We don't know much, in fact. And I personally, you know, these are, of course, personal opinions. I I, I don't have uh, any, um, I cannot make statements for which I can put my hands on fire. But by observing what's going on 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 the internet, uh, well, I've seen the CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, uh, who's kind of, you know, in my opinion, creating panic about artificial intelligence taking over humans. Uh, even went recently to the U.S. government and, and asking 
almost begging them to to regulate even even open ai it was begging them to regulate open ai because guys we have something that is extremely dangerous please stop us what's your opinion on that so first of all there's there's not one but there's actually two open ais right so one open ai is the old open ai which used to be well let's just call it slightly more open it was a non-profit organization which by by law had to you know release a bunch of statements about you know what they were doing and <clears throat> and they they were basically building all sorts of models and, and doing research uh, and then there's the closed open ai let's call them which is a for-profit organization which basically is a way of the way I see it anyway, it's a way of funneling some of that intellectual property into a for-profit uh, you know, organization. And this for-profit organization has been so heavily invested by uh, Microsoft that you know, the way I see it is basically it's, it's an appendage to Microsoft at this point. Um, you know, technically it's an independent you know, company, but, but Microsoft owns you know, a good chunk of it. And, and the the ownership, even though they're not, I don't think they are a majority shareholder. Um, they are the biggest shareholder, I think. But I'm not I'm not exactly sure about their cap table, but you know, frankly speaking, it's clear that without Microsoft, the the new OpenAI is is screwed, right? So so they effectively have the control of the organization, right? Um, so w- whenever there's something coming out of the the in, OpenAI for profit organization, I view it as, as basically coming out of Microsoft. And so Microsoft decided to take on Google, right? Which they always wanted. Um, and, and so they did, right? So they've created this massive panic attack, which you know had caused a hyster- hysteria, I think, you know, to, to a large degree, uh, about uh, you know, op- OpenAI's chat GPT. Now um OpenAI has been always very, let's just say, extreme about their press statements and press releases. They've been never shy of hyping them up to a to an, a, a, an absolute extreme, right? But but what happened with ChatGPT had taken it to another level, I think. That was a massive, a massive PR glitter bomb, I call it, right? Um and um now I don't have any proof for that, but you know the amount of sponsored content which was praising ChatGPT would suggest to me that somebody was paying for it big, big money. Um, who knows, right? The, there's, there's suddenly there's a, you know, hundreds of of um, paid promoters essentially, a bunch of influencers, you know, going. Uh, day and night praising chat gpt on how great it is i don't think these these things happen by coincidence right so you know of, of course i don't know this for certain but but come on right these guys these guys aren't doing this just because they want to do it right these guys are typically just displaying on their website their rates right you know 500 bucks for a tweet or something along these lines um so <clears throat> i you know as far as llms are certainly in some ways impressive. I think there's been a large effort to hype them up to even more what they actually are. Um, And I think some sort of disillusionment is coming about right now. In fact, uh, as an anecdote, I've been sitting at an Apple store just yesterday 
um, and overhearing a conversation between an employee and, and a customer. And they were talking about, you know, AI replacing their jobs and whatever. And it was funny because the employee was just saying, hey, have you actually used it for anything? You know, because it actually sucks. You know, it doesn't really generate anything good. Uh, I tried it for this and that, and it always created, you know, something really very unimpressive, right? And that's to some degree been my experience as well. I could see how people who haven't had much experience with with these sorts of systems would be impressed by it, at least superficially. But but come on, I mean, 20 years ago, we had computer algebra systems that, you know, were solving differential equations much, you know, and integrals and whatnot, you know, Maple and, and Mathematica and all these things, they, they were amazing, right? We have all sorts of, you know, SQL templating generators, you know, there's, there's just so much of it out there, right? If you've been using some of this before, you're much less likely to be very much impressed with what ChatGPT is doing. It's it's certainly, you know, excelling at some of the things like, you know, write me a poem sort of thing, right? But, you know, after a while, you actually do discover that it's also templating to some degree. Um, there's all these little tricks that, that this machine had discovered in order to generate interesting sounding content. But, you know, after a while, you, you begin to discover how it, how it kind of works under the surface. But... You know, but, but being impressed by it doing some basic math is just insane. Like, well, what are you talking about? It's just, you know, we had systems way superior to that, you know, for quarter of a century. And now let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. I, I think that it's uh, uh, the access from the big public. That's where... Uh, the big change has happened, in my opinion, because now that you're mentioning, that's true. We had a lot of, this, of these things uh, back in the days, but who knew these things were like, you know, technical people, engineers, nerds. And now uh, ChatGPT is open to, you know, uh, to the girl next door, to the guy next door, uh, right. who has never used a computer in their life. So, you know... For them, it's like, boom, wow, wow, a machine can speak with me, can chat, and it actually makes sense. Uh, so I think that's the different audience of these tools, probably. That's correct, and it sort of explains the popularity of it. But you know, but but these praises about it being able to solve mathematics is not something I've been hearing from you know average Jane and Joe out there on the internet. <laughs> But I'm looking at, you know, prominent researchers in the field who, who should really know better, right? I mean, I can't believe right. that Hinton would not be using, you know, computer algebra systems 20 years ago, right? He certainly was aware of these things. He's a damn professional. 
Um, so yeah. it, it's it's just really, really bizarre, you know, this whole dynamics around these systems, which, you know, they excel at something. Certainly, you know, it's 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 a it's a interesting game to play right they they have certain addictive power to them right you're interacting with these systems you're sort of like you know it's it's to some degree as addictive as playing a, a single-handed bandit in a casino right you're just kind of <laughs> flipping the lever and you're you're what's going to come out right is am i going to win right and every now and then you sort of win something interesting you get a little reward and and so you want to play some more right so there's an addictive aspect to, to to interacting with these systems. But, you know, at the end of the day, for any sort of professional application, I've been trying them to get me some programming done. And, you know, it's a it's a hit, a, hit or miss, really, um, and mostly misses, yeah. actually. Um, so for, for some really basic scaffolding stuff, yes, they work. But for anything else, they introduce yeah, different silly bugs. In fact, sometimes really subtle bugs, which which are really hard to track later on, and and so I I just can't see how, you know, how this could revolutionize anything um, beyond just, I don't know, maybe maybe people reading their daily news, some kind of summaries, but you know, but when these things cannot be trusted, you know, if if it you know ask ask him to summarize ask chat gpt to summarize a paper and it misses yeah. the key point of the paper then what's the point of such summary right um well, yeah. <laughs> i've heard i've heard of people who have, who have been spending more time fixing the bugs of the code generated by chat gpt rather than fixing the problems <laughs> right there's, there's, a, there's a little meme of of a guy you know before chat gpt <laughs> writing code for 6 hours and then debugging for 2 hours or something along these lines and now you know spending 5 minutes generating the code and 24 hours debugging it right <laughs> there's there's some truth to it i mean and you know frankly speaking when i when i see these people saying hey this is going to boost productivity by 10x you know in in software engineers i just i just you know can't help but laugh because you know if if ever writing code was really the bottleneck right it's it's just a small fraction of the of of what yeah. you do as a software engineer you have to design these systems you have to communicate you have to understand the specification you have to you have to figure out how you want to do it and then once you know all these things you actually sit down at a computer and try to try to write it and you write it once you rewrite it because you find it's it's you know there's so much yeah. that's kind of the, that's kind of the easiest uh, writing when you know everything yeah, yeah, it's kind of the easiest once, part once you know what to write and how you know writing it is the easiest thing you know and if you have to go to stack overflow to check some sort of you know what particular library is is um, you know what the interface is for some function or whatever you know that's the easiest thing to do whether you're going to ask chat gpt to do it or whether you're going to go stack overflow is is kind of you know not really a big difference and in fact there there is a, also another difference because if i go to stack overflow you know i don't typically actually pick up on on the first answer i will actually go down you know scroll down to see what other yeah. answers people had given i will actually look at what people are writing uh, because there's sometimes comments to to a particular solution somebody will mention exactly. that hey this this works but you know there's this or that there's all this kind of additional stuff which gives credibility to a particular answer and and it also affects the context because the context you might be using this answer for could be different than, than the original question on stack overflow so these additional comments of of people you know uh, it often will 
make me actually use not the first, not the most upvoted solution, but I will actually pick up one of those other ones, you know, least, less yeah. popular because my use case actually demands that sort of solution, not the, the most upvoted yeah. one. I, I, heard Google, I heard that Google I heard that Google Bard is actually providing that. Uh, now, not all countries are able to access Google Bard, but, it's, but um, essentially with Google Bard, you can have multiple answers and you can choose eventually pick the one that is most suitable for your case and probably they do that with code as well uh, yeah, it's, it you know, simulates but, that but you know but there's still yeah. there's still i think a big value of actually you know even typos like people make typos sure in answers right and and it kind of builds your mental model of who answered that question whether it's a credible person or not you know, even such silly stuff actually gives some sort of additional context to these things. So, you know, I, I like to think about large language model as a giant blender. You know, you basically put in, you know, a bunch of stuff in it and blend it all together. And, it, you know, it may taste good, but there might be some rotten, you know, fruits in it. And you don't even know, right? <laughs> I like this example. I will use it. Sorry, I'm going to steal this from you. <laughs> No, but jokes apart, I mean, it's very good to have a critical eye. I mean, uh, I've, I, we have been telling this for a while on this show uh, to the listeners of Data Science at Home podcast. Don't take everything as is, you know, be critical. Uh, don't overhype things that are already hyped enough. Uh, just put your brain at work and always try to understand whenever you can, of course, how these things work. There's no magic. This is statistics, mathematics. This is you know, all the things that we know that we have been doing for uh, centuries, in fact, just to with different with different tools, computational tools. Uh, so having a critical eye is very important. Now, speaking of critical eye, I think there is something that many people are ignoring, <laughs> which I read very recently, though I knew it before. Sam Altman, speaking about Sam Altman, the, the CEO of OpenAI, um, you know, the same guy who's creating this panic about AI and we don't know for which reason, probably your speculation and opinion makes perfect sense. It can be a theory. In fact, there are many out there. But there is a fact, uh, which is this guy is also the co-founder of a blockchain coin. It's, it's called WorldCoin that pretend, pretends to scan the iris of, uh, I don't know how many millions or billions of people to build a global identity. And then they also pre-mined coins uh, which means that they they basically exchange coins for money, and then you then there is a proof of stake on the blockchain, uh, and 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 essentially you own a part of the network. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I don't know. This sounds a bit sketchy to me. You know, the the the, the, the CEO of a company that is probably one of the most reputable companies these days in AI. He's also not an expert of AI, right? From, so, from his yeah, background, so you know, it, there is something fishy going on. What, what do you think? You know, I mean, I don't. I obviously. Well, let's just put it this way, right? Would I entrust? Let's, let's not get sued. Let's not get sued. Let's not get sued, right? <laughs> would I? Would I entrust my, you know, my well-being to some Altman? Let's just say probably not, right? <laughs> um, now, <clears throat> as far as the, the 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 coin project of his, I mean, I wish him well on it, um, as long as I don't necessarily have to participate in it. Um, now. You know, it's it's not been a giant secret, let's just put it mildly, that, you know, a lot of crypto has been 
not very genuine. Let's just let's just be <laughs> very, um, you know, very. You're very polite <laughs> today. You're, today you're very polite. You're, you're not like that on Twitter. That's not the Philip I know. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's just been full of scam, right? So let's just call it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, just recently with the with the FTX collapse, right, and uh, you know a bunch of other before that, right. There was another one I think was uh, turned out to be a Ponzi scheme, right? Recently. And we, we all lived through the 2021 craze of people, you know, buying NFTs and stuff you know jpegs for two million dollars or whatever <laughs> I, they're, they're all gone now right i mean it was it was all bunch of wash trading um which basically is people buying you know tokens from themselves you know under different identities which by the way you know is illegal because it's a price manipulation so right. i think there's just a lot of this stuff going on in crypto and and it's it at this point i i don't think anybody will be you know would be reasonable to to defend the idea that this is just you know a bunch of idealists with you know some sort of you know going back to um, good money and you know Austrian tradition of economics or whatever right there's a, there's just an enormous amount of scam in that in that in that whole field and you know there's also another fact that a lot of these influencers that, who suddenly came into AI you know if you follow them back they were back in crypto. Right, mm. so, uh, so th those are those are sort of facts, right? It's a connection. There's a there's lots of crypto yeah. people who, who who suddenly turned into AI people, and uh, especially a bunch of influencers and whatnot. So, nice. you know, with with so all that same uh, same I, lies, different words. <laughs> yeah, I would I would just you know without accusing anybody of anything, I would just suggest everyone to be somewhat skeptical and careful. Because yeah. you know you're gonna hear a bunch of stuff which might not hold water in the end. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, uh, Philip. Thank you so much, and uh, I'm pretty sure that listeners of the show will thank you as well for this <laughs> uh, for this statement because we all need to keep our feet on the ground, as I said, uh, and and Philip confirms that. So that's good. Um, so to recap, we we are very sure or we're very confident that uh, large language models will not destroy humanity. So please be careful when you read these things. Uh, stay cool. Uh, now, Philip, I have something for you, a question that I asked you, I think, three years ago or more. Uh, how do you see the future of AI? Because we know what are the things that, well, we we don't think that LLM are, are going to be you know, the path towards AGI, for many of the reasons that we have uh, been been speaking been speaking about here, but what is the right way? What, what's the, the the right direction for AGI or AI in general? Well, I mean, I I think I think still the biggest elephant in the room is really what's called the Moravec's paradox, right? So we are building all sorts of tools which we try to control, but what we have we have a huge problem is to build tools that will control something in the actual environment, right? So in my mind, the problem of AI is really a problem of building control systems rather than building systems that we could control, right? So <clears throat> um, at the end of the day, I, I don't think we're, we're very close to building anything that can really deal with the environment. And, you know, this can be best seen in, in the struggle, the never-ending struggle of self-driving cars, right? I mean, we're, 
There's a, a couple companies still left in the field. A lot of them actually went went bust last year. And, you know, and there's all sorts of problems still. I mean, Tesla is a joke as far as self-driving goes. Uh, there's a couple of deployments, Waymo and Cruise actually running around, uh, you know, San Francisco. And, and there's been a bunch of problems with them recently because they have not been dealing well with certain, you know, let's call them tail situations, right? There have been a shooting, you know, the car had blocked away for, for the for the police response, you know, it's been blocking, you know, a fire truck and whatnot. So there's a lot of complaints going from, from all these, um, you know, responders, let's, let's just call them about, you know, the traffic in San Francisco. Um, I don't think this is this is going to work actually in the long run, right? These things are still very experimental. There's no way these companies are making any money on on these things. Uh, you know, the equipment is very expensive, um, and the liabilities are big, right? So, <clears throat> at some point, I think the last one of these companies is going to go down. Uh, at some point. And at this point, I think humans will realize, hey, something something is wrong here. What are we doing wrong, right? And I think that's when, when I, you know, who knows the future at the end of the day, but that's going to be a major blow to, to the current wave of AI, right? Because it's been promised to finally deal with that problem. It's now not going to be logic. It's going to be neural nets. Neural net works like the brain, you know, we're going to solve it, right? And it's just more and more evidence is mounting that we're not really solving this problem at all. Um, and you know, we now diverted to large language models, which which is like you know, uh, the AI always goes into language because oh, we solved Turing test or whatever, right? It's it's the last line of defense, right, for for any AI project in in my mind, right? We couldn't solve you know self driving cars, we couldn't solve you know robotics, so let's let's at least solve the Turing um, test, right? Um, <clears throat> We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I think there's going to be some major disillusionment at some point because so much money was invested into these self-driving car projects. And once that money is going to go to money heaven, I think I think a lot of people will be like, hold on, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And you usually, you know where disillusionment get? To winter. Yeah, that's that's definitely, I mean, something I've been talking about for many years now. I mean, since 2018 and it's it took much longer than I would initially have anticipated. But, you know, nothing I wrote in my 2018 article is essentially wrong. It's still it's still very much holds. You know, the self-driving car hasn't been solved, you know, even though it's 2023. Um, you know, I, I, in fact, robotics hasn't been solved. And, you know, none of none of these promised wonders had actually materialized. Now we have the the large language models, which you know they they won't destroy the humanity i think they might destroy the internet as we know it um so that's definitely a danger out there but you know it what the the mania that we have right now i, I it has a lot of a lot of the feeling of a blow off top so let's see what happens when this finally collapses and that might be finally the disillusionment we'll see all right. Well, we just have to wait. Philip, this was great. I hope that our next episode is not in three years. It's much earlier than that. And of course, uh, as I said, it's a, it was a pleasure to have you here on the show. And uh, I will share your Twitter handle and uh, your website uh, 
very great articles. Please keep up the great work uh, to the listeners and the readers of the show notes of Data Science at Home podcast on datascienceathome.com. Thank you so much, Philip. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.